Hello, we are now recording. I am Jonathan Dixon. I'm here with Grandma Arta Jean Christensen. Say hello, Grandma. Hello, Grandma. (laughs) (laughs) We are here on the My Family Her Story podcast. It is March 24th, 2021. Our goal here is to preserve in podcast form stories and memories for future generations and to have a good time. Uh, Last week, we talked all about the personal events of grandma and the late 1950s being a new mother. This week, we're zooming out a little bit, covering the same time period, but the events of the world in the late 1950s. Uh, One of the main things that happened in the lane that started in the 1950s, the later 1950s, was the culmination of civil rights movements and legislation um, with Brown versus Board of Education finding the segregation of schools to be unconstitutional in 1954. 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott starts. Uh, 1956, it ends. Little Rock 9, 1957, where uh, there was a showdown between the state of Arkansas and the president of the United States at the time, Dwight Eisenhower, over whether or not schools could be desegregated. And uh, it was on that front a uh, pretty tumultuous time. Uh, Grandma, in this time, you would have you would have had between one and five children. So you'd be pretty busy. But uh, what impact I guess I should back up a little bit. Were you aware of the civil rights movement that were happening around the country during that time? Well, yes, I was aware of it. When we, when we first were married, we talked about this last week, but when we were first married, we lived in South Carolina. And this was the first time in my life that I had ever lived where black people live. It, where there were um, many of them. And so I got really interested in what was going on with, with that culture and those people, which I had never been uh, associated with before. And so uh, we, Don, Don uh, worked in the army with, with uh, people of that race. And Don was always, Don was always interested in, um, sharing the gospel with people, getting them interested in the church. And he was quite friendly with one of the other cooks that worked with him in the, in the army there in the, in the bakery in particular where he started out. And so he invited this young man to go to church with him and that he said, oh, well, that's nice of you to ask me. He said, but I would not be welcome in your church. And Don was astounded. He said, why, of course you would. I mean, any place we ever had lived in our life, he would have been, he would have been welcome or any of the, any of them would have been welcome to come uh, and visit our church or come all the time and or whatever and I couldn't uh, Don could hardly believe that but but he couldn't persuade this this man to he couldn't persuade this man to come to church with him for that reason and so I asked a, a couple of people would would this black person be welcome in our church and they were aghast. I, they could not believe that I would even bring up such a subject. This was certainly taboo 
they would he would not have been welcome and it was our church we were welcome but but they let me know plainly that no colored person would be welcome in their ward and i was astounded at that i could i could hardly believe it because it seemed contrary to what i had always believed what i had always practiced but hadn't been around people of that uh, culture but anyway i found out i found out it definitely it definitely was an issue and that man knew the culture better than i did because i hadn't been there very long and i didn't and it's just something that i didn't realize so when we talk about when we talk about segregation and like that this was the way of life this was how it was and and there was no crossing over the lines and that was new to me so i was interested in in the segregation issues and and the civil rights issues as they transpired even though we moved back to utah and and there was very little uh, interaction with any people of that culture anymore because there weren't very many in in utah or around where i lived but a an interesting thing happened i went to the grocery store and i had my children with me and they were very they were very small and and close together but but we happened upon a, a black person who was also shopping in the grocery store and i just smiled at her and my little girl two year old ran away and hid behind me and was frightened at what she was seeing she had never she had never seen in her lifetime she had never seen a person of color and and this lady was not pleased and she came over to me and she told me that i should teach my children better <laughs> i can't remember the exact words but i apologized to her and i said i'm just i'm just so sorry that she offended you and you know that kind of thing but this was just an illustration of the situation that i lived in during this period of time and the the this person was extra sensitive because this was about the time that these issues were at the forefront in the in the society and the legislation was changing and the segregation issue was changing and these other things about about uh, where they could sit on the bus and things like that all of this was under fire and i'm sure that 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 lady her own personal feelings were strong at that time because she felt like that they were being improperly treated which i agree with but it sounds like tensions were high all around is what you're trying to explain it it was and and this is just an illustration of what was in my own personal life at was that, that in uh salt lake city or provo or back on back in south carolina no that would have been in uh, that would have been in uh, in provo i think when we were living in provo so it was just it was just a situation where my little girl had never seen in person a person of color before so anyway well, that, le 
that leads really well into my next question, which is uh, growing up in the 20s and 30s and 40s, um, what was your experience with segregation? Well, it was a non-issue because we didn't have anybody in our, uh, that lived in our neighborhoods at all. Nobody in our, in our school systems. There was nobody in any place that I went to school as I was growing up or in my early days. There just, there just wasn't anybody around me personally. There wasn't anybody in, in our schools and like that. So it was a, that part of it was a non-issue for us. I mean, we were just segregated because it was that way. There was just, it sounded, and before we had talked about how there was a few Japanese children at your school, but other than that, seems to be pretty much a Western European immigrant. Yeah family descendants yeah, that was just that was just what it was and uh, and there were no other asians uh, around in our schools except those those uh, japanese kids that i told you about and they were they were of course japanese americans they had been generations in america even though they were uh, japanese nationals but but there was some prejudice against them. I think I mentioned that. But yeah, as yeah. time went on, those kids just wore down any prejudice that started out. Their time went as time went on, they they were just fine. So you didn't really experience segregation because there wasn't really populations to segregate in your right. growing up. Did that hold true in your college experience? No, well, when I went to college, there were some. Uh, but not, but not many. It was, it was in small numbers, and it wasn't a matter of, it wasn't a matter of segregation. They just were in our classes, you know. And so like, it wasn't your your BYU experience was not segregated. It was just more like rare to find someone who wasn't, uh, yeah. who was who was of uh, of color. Right, but. I was really interested in it because I had experienced the strong feeling that the people in the South had against the Blacks. And I knew that, and I can remember having discussions with Don. I said, I fear that there will come to violence and, and bloodshed possibly over this issue because the people are have such strong feelings about it. That's what we just we just talked about that, but never experienced anything. We just talked about it. But I could I could see where the possibility was there that that it would be that it would be hard. Yeah. And a lot of those issues still exist today. Uh, but amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> it seems to me like by now they would have got over it, but they haven't. A lot of people. A lot of people, well, they didn't get over it. They hadn't lived yet. <laughs> they grew up with those prejudices. Yeah. So in 1954, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the segregation of schools was unconstitutional and began to move what was needed to be moved to desegregate schools. Uh, what was your reaction to this uh, event? Well, see, we were we were in uh, we were in South Carolina during during 1955 and 56. That was the time that we were there, and so they were just beginning to try to implement desegregation in in those in those areas. But I didn't have anybody in school. All I could do was hear about it on the news or in the newspaper or by talk from people as things that were going on but but it was not it was not a popular idea in the south where at least where we were it it they did not like it and as you know it took years to get it 
to get it to establish desegregation. Yeah, the uh, my oldest brother David, even in uh, in the early in the eighties, was still part of efforts to desegregate schools. Uh, Thirty years later, so it took a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, it did. Uh, so in uh, in nineteen fifty five, the next year, one of uh, one of the great figures of American history, uh, Rosa Parks starts the Montgomery bus boycott uh, by not moving to the back of the bus. Did you hear about this event while you were, um, while it was happening? I can't remember when I first became aware of it. I don't know whether I heard about it at the time or later. I just don't know that. But we did know that it happened. Um, it took some courageous people like that to to make things really begin. But you know how surprised I was when I went down to the South to live for a couple of years to find that there were there was a water fountain where white people could drink out of, and there was a place of kind of around the corner where uh, colored people had to go to get a drink of water. And, and I couldn't believe it. You know, it was just amazing to me. But I was happy that they were trying to make some steps to, to make this, to have this thing disappear. I thought that was totally wrong. I just could not see why that should be and I couldn't see why they should have to sit in the back of the bus or in any certain place and I could sit wherever I wanted. I didn't understand that, you know. I I knew about it and I had heard about it before we lived there, but it was brought forcibly to my attention. Mm -hmm. Did uh, the Montgomery boycott was located in centered in Montgomery, Alabama, but did it have any effects or impacts on the community that you lived in? Well, I wasn't aware of it, of that. I, I don't know if it, I don't know how soon, I don't know how soon that individual act uh, resonated across into other say other states and other areas. I don't know. I don't know that. It would be interesting sometime to to follow that and see how it did uh, how it did spread from one place to another and the idea spread from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And the uh, sort of the uh, the last major event of civil rights within the 1950s that we're going to talk about today is the uh it's referred to now as the little rock nine where in, in little rock arkansas um an all-white high school is getting desegregated and the governor of little rock uh, the governor of arkansas brought out the national guard to block the school from the uh the children of color that were coming in and it it was a days long standoff and eventually President Eisenhower had to bring federal troops in to escort the children to class and, and it was that way for a couple of days. Were you aware of that situation uh, as it was unfolding in, in 1957? I don't, I don't think so. We, I don't think I was aware of it much when it was actually happening. We, we were back in, uh, in Utah by then and Dawn was uh, enrolled at, at Brigham Young University and, and uh, our third child, our third child in three years was born in 1957 and I was more or less being a mom and a housewife. <laughs> and so that they, was sort of happening in, a, in a, a world that didn't really touch yours. Basically, we just kind of were kind of were aware because we you know we'd hear the news or read the newspaper but uh, but it we didn't really it really wasn't 
in our lives, it was more like observe, observation. So I don't know too. I don't. I don't think I knew too much about it at the time, except that uh, I I respected that uh, that Eisenhower was uh, trying to enforce it and make make sure that it did happen. I respected that. This is kind of a tangentially related question, but do you remember who you who you voted for when you uh, came of age to vote in your first few elections? Well, I certainly remember voting for Eisenhower. That was a, he was the war hero. He directed the, he directed the war for all those years. And we felt like that he was the hero. He took care of the, took care of the situation and won the war. <laughs> and so I just, I personally felt like Eisenhower was, was just the right person to be our president. I liked him a lot and I respected him. And I feel like he was a good, a very good president. And uh, so, yes, I voted for Eisenhower. <laughs> Both times. <laughs> cool. Well, um, those are all. Uh, when in the next couple of weeks we'll be talking about the '60s, and so civil rights are going to come up again. But uh, those are all the questions and events that I had for today about civil rights specifically. Uh, now I wanted to talk about something that's a little more, uh, a little more lighthearted. Uh, some of the pop culture and events of the 1950s uh, that you would have been alive for and, and if they had any impact on your life. Um, one of the things that I love about the 50s, probably because I am my father's son, is Elvis. Uh, Elvis, starting in the mid-50s and going through the late 50s, early 60s, um, was sort of became the king of rock and this new kind of music. Uh, what was your experience, if any, with Elvis and his music? Well, I, actually there was kind of a little um, rivalry going on between Elvis and, uh, oh, now I've forgot his name. Um, well, I guess I know who won. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you do, but uh, I kind of, I kind of liked that other guy. And why, why his name won't come to me right now? I don't know. But, but you know some of his songs? No, he just sang. I don't know. He just sang the popular songs of the day. I, I can't, uh, I can't say. But. I was I was more in favor of him and and so I kind of took note of this little rivalry that was going was on. It well, Pat and, Boone. Pat Boone is right. That's the yes. one. Yes, by the yeah. power of Google, I was able to find. So so there was there was a little bit of a of a rivalry, red team, blue team between Elvis and Pat Boone, and you were on team Pat Boone. Yeah, that was kind of the way it was, <laughs> but. But I was aware of Elvis, and this new thing was going on that I that I was aware of when that thing about the young teenage girls just screaming and swooning over the over the singer, and that was that was new. That was just starting out, and that hadn't happened before the before the fifties. There was no like superstar musicians that would elicit that sort of stuff well the it was just it was just a new reaction it was the kind it was they would that got that got on the news because these these young girls would just would just scream and 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 rush the stand and all that kind of thing and which you can still see newsreels, videos of all of that going on. 
but it was all that that reaction was new that was new stuff and so um i was just beyond that i wasn't a teenager any longer and and uh, i couldn't quite figure out what they were doing all the yelling and screaming about you know i like mm -hmm. i like to listen to the singers sing but i didn't want to stand there and scream and fall on the floor about it and all those things so I just thought that was a little a little over overkill but but we got used to it and, and they kept on doing it so that was just something that was coming on new yeah it seems like it's it's part of the reality because now I just expect it. I grew up with my little sister in the room next to me with posters of Justin Bieber everywhere. And she she went to his concerts and was one of those screaming girls. So yeah, I guess it, it, it had its roots in this era and uh, and Elvis and Pat Boone and then later the Beatles. Um, yeah. All of that, all of that was going on. But I was I was a little more interested in uh, you mentioned you mentioned Sputnik and and uh, yes the the, uh, the the space race space began race, the space race began and and we were still in the we were still in that Cold War time when when it was it was a great um, rivalry between. United States and Russia, and we were still frightened of Russia because we knew they had the they had the bomb, and we knew that they their leaders at least wanted us dead, and and uh, so there was there was this uh, this great rivalry going on, and we were a little distressed that that they got their first. Uh, they got the Sputnik out into orbit for, before we did, got ours out there. Was there any like crazy conspiracy conspiracy theories about Sputnik that you heard when it was when it was happening? No, only that only that uh, we thought that America should be ahead of the Russians, <laughs> that kind of thing. We we didn't like that, but. But I was so entranced with the idea that they had sent, um, that they had, I remember when we lived in Provo, I remember them announcing on the radio that the this rocket was gonna be sent up and it and and they actually sent it into outer space for the first time. And I was so entranced with that whole idea that I remember going out on the on the porch and just gazing up into the sky and thinking to myself, there's a man up there, out in outer space, really up there beyond our own gravity. <laughs> and I just was standing there looking at looking at the uh, the whole big universe and realizing that we were on the on the brink of something very very important and that's the closest i could come to being part of it but i went out there and stood and stared at the sky thinking this is happening right now there's a human being floating around there <laughs> beyond reach of any of us so that was that was kind of fun, and then we did eventually outpace the the Russians. Although they, you know, they had that one called Mir M I R, and they had some others, and and we started catching up with them. And and I'm getting a little bit ahead of you, but in the years that you were talking about, but. Uh, Kennedy pledged to put a man on the moon and he said we'll do that within 10 years and I thought like fun but <laughs> <he> did. <laughs> they did and uh, and I 
I, I followed the space, the space race quite closely as it was happening. And when they would, when they would make a launch, right, they would televise it and everybody would be glued to their televisions, which were brand new, <laughs> looking, looking out there to see, looking there to see what was happening. And we'd get our, we'd get our launches safely up and we'd be so relieved everybody would be cheering and then then that would be the same when they would be recovering them and bringing the bringing the space capsules back down and everybody would be standing around and then we'd get these minute by minute reports of of how the where where the where the shuttle was or where the nose cone was or whatever it was we were talking about that that needed to come down and whether whether where it was gonna whether it was gonna land where they thought it was gonna land or whether it was gonna land in the ocean or sometimes it did land in the ocean but wherever I, it was just a big it was top top interest on on all the on all the evolving. Um, projects that we send up into space. I was really in tune with all of that. I liked it a lot. Did grandpa have similar feelings about the space race and did he follow it quite as closely as you did? Oh yeah, I think so. We were right together on all that. Yep. It was kind of the whole United States was all together on that because it it was exciting to be to be crossing those barriers but it was even more exciting because it was a race between us and the communists and and uh, so it was all kind of that that was a nice thing to help us get over all the bad that was going on on there down in on the ground because we could think about what was going all that good that we, we felt like was going on up there in space and and in that space race and that was that was an exciting thing for for years it was it sounds like it it was uh it, it was a fun way of looking to the future and and how cool and bright it was going to be instead of looking to the past and and how many problems there were yeah, we we always hoped that that these that these technical and scientific advances would get us beyond those uh, worries of of how we treated our neighbors. We always hoped that that would take place. It still hasn't. <laughs> we we still treat our neighbors badly. <laughs> We'll get there one day. <laughs> I expect that. I still hope for it. <laughs> so unrelated to the space race, but uh, central to many people's leisure time and, and fun, the company of Disney opened up a place that would pretty much change the world forever in 1955 with Disneyland in California. Were you aware of this uh, new development when it was happening? Oh yeah, we knew about it. We knew and, and they, they were making quite a, quite a bit of fuss about it. Um, we didn't, we personally didn't have television yet. We didn't get that until uh, oh, until we lived in Salt Lake, which was after 1957. But uh, it was a, it was something that we heard about. But I don't think even there, I don't think we realized what a big impact that was going to have on just on society and on the entertainment aspects of the of the world. And I don't think I don't even think that we realized how 
how big a thing it was with Elvis this, at the time of, this was just another singer, you know. Uh -huh. And then, and then all these other things started happening around it, you know, the with the with the girls getting so excited and all that, and that new that new uh, development. So I just I think we knew about Disneyland, but when. We we went there after we after we got out of school and started to started to make some, some money so that we could do what we wanted to do. We took the little kids and went to Disneyland one time. Was, was that in the sixty or the sixties or the fifties? Well, I don't know exactly. It must have been the early 60s, I think, probably, because I think we had those five kids at the time we went there. So I think it was the early 60s when we finally went to Disneyland. But see, by then, everybody was talking about it, and it was it was big, uh, big time in entertainment to go to Disneyland. So, so we went, and we enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, now I want to know, even though it's technically in the 60s, but uh, being there in the first really probably five or six years of Disneyland's existence, like, what were your expectations versus the realities of the park when you went there? Well, I, I quite enjoyed it. I never, I never was too much interested in in theme parks, I we would take the little kids and go to Lagoon once a year or something like that. But but I it it wasn't something that I really looked forward to and anticipated with great joy. It was just more like, well, this is something we have to do for the kids, so we'll do it. But <laughs> but. Uh, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Disneyland and I thought, I kind of was amazed at how clever they were at putting all of that together. But uh, I had been, I had been to the, to the World's Fair in, uh, I can't remember what years those were, but, but, uh, that would have been in the 60s, the one in New York City. And then they had, they also had one in San Francisco that we went to. But they would, the World's Fair would put on the very latest things to show you what great um, inventions had they had and things like that. So, so we kind of, we kind of got into those new technologies at the World's Fair. We learned about them, uh, and then you experienced them at Disneyland. And then, they, and yeah, and then Disneyland put them out for for profit, which I thought was smart of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you know a technology is going to stick around is if you can start to make money off of it. Sure. That's a, well, that is it's, uh, it's, delightful to hear about. It's interesting to me, Jonathan, to look back on these things and realize what came of all of these things you're talk, you've talked about tonight. When going through them at the time, they didn't seem like groundbreaking or earth shattering experiences they were just what was happening at the moment and one time i one time i asked my mother i said what was it like when you realized that they had invented the airplane and 
I'm thinking, here's this grand invention and look what it's become. And what, what was it? What did you experience? And she said, well, it's, it said in the paper that they had managed to get a heavier than air machine to stay out for eight seconds. <laughs> I thought, wow, <laughs> what a letdown. <laughs> You're like, is that it? Really? The world changed forever. Wilbur and Orville, like the this is like the birth of flight. This is this changed. And, and she's like, well, I just lived my life. <laughs> yeah, they got the they got their heavier than air machine to stay up for eight seconds. <laughs> it makes me wonder how many groundbreaking inventions are happening now that we are we might read about or or learn about and then not really think about until 10 20 years later when it's revolutionized pretty much everything we do yeah well we've been we've been doing that we keep going through that same experience exact experience over and over again you see i <laughs> your your brother was quite startled one day when I was telling a story and I said, well, this was before they had invented plastics. And he said, what? Before they invented plastic? <laughs> he couldn't even believe that there was a world without plastic ever. <laughs> but that's kind of the way these things are because you see some small invention changes the trajectory and then and then everything follows in that direction and changes our whole lives but it comes by increments and we don't realize it as it's happening we can look back like we're doing tonight we can look back and see what it did to our lives but when you're going through it, you can't see that it is doing it to our lives at that at that exact moment, except maybe television. I think we all kind of realized when we first saw television that that was something that was going to re revolutionize everything. Yeah, change everything, and and it, and it really, really has. Yes, it. Uh, has definitely has changed our, changed everything about our lives so that was uh, that's just one one illustration but looking back on it you can see these things a lot better than you can see them while you're living them while you're going through them yeah because when we, right before this uh episode we were talking before we were recording and you said uh i'm gonna be honest with you all these great major events were happening but I was a mother of five children. And so I was focusing on raising them and living my life and keeping everyone fed and happy. And, and while I was aware, I wasn't like, I was doing my life, my, my thing. And I, I think yeah. that is very much how a lot of history happens. It happens. Yeah, it just happens all around us and we don't know it. We don't know that it's earth change, world changing until until you look back and you see that it did. Yeah. What, one of the last events uh, in American history, at least, of the 1950s was when Alaska and Hawaii got admitted to the union. Um, what was that like? Well, I sure thought that was great. I was very happy when that happened with both of those states. And uh, Alaska came first and, and Hawaii, it was sort of like, oh, well, we let Alaska in, we better let Hawaii in. <laughs> but uh, that, you know, we only had we only had 49 stars on the flag for one year about approximately and then it was 50 stars and that's that was that felt good to me it just felt satisfying and and i 
I have in my collection somewhere. I have a I have a a 13 star flag, but it certainly isn't an original. It's just a 13 star flag. But then I also have a 48 star flag and a 50 star flag and a 49 star flag. Because it meant a lot to me to have all of those, to have all of those uh, people come into the come in and be part of the United States. I, I just felt like that was just the right thing that should happen. Well, that is awesome. Um, wrapping up today's conversation, the 1950s were really the beginning of an era of innovation, of civil rights, of... Um, change change at a pace that really hasn't been experienced hadn't been experienced in all of human history until then and then we've sort of been accelerating from then um yeah. what advice do you have for people living through times of intense and rapid change oh well i think you all ought to just get on the horse and hold on for dear life and just <laughs> ride it through <laughs> make it make it be a make it be an adventure and a wonderful experience and if you know to all of us if you can if you can uh, recognize the moment while you're living it i think i think there's a lot of joy to be had in life and I think a lot of us just miss that joy by, I don't know, keeping our nose to the grindstone too, too much. And we miss realizing what's, what's happening around us that is really exciting, wonderful, and joyful. Think of being at the beginning of the space race, the first time that anybody ever goes out of the Earth's atmosphere and into space, and then returns. Wow, think of that and uh, things like that. And then this, just a few weeks ago, our our uh, lander landed on Mars. Can you imagine Mars? <laughs> and they're saying they're going to put a person on Mars in the next, I don't know, ten years or. 20 I don't know but uh well it just, yeah. it, it just keeps expanding it keeps expanding and it's more it gets more exciting and more joyful in my opinion as we go along I I have this feeling I felt this at the time of I have to say I did but we felt like that if we could just get through the war it was more like the world's going to change and the world's going to be so wonderful. And we used to sit and talk about, I think we're all going to have our own personal helicopter. I think we're going to have these special things that are being invented right now. And it was a fun thing to just think up things and talk about how wonderful it's going to be. But we had the feeling that it was just going to bloom and it did those first years and after the war as soon as the as soon as our country got out of the business of making war machines and into the business of making peace machines you see what happened all these wonderful things took place so that's what i think we should think about as we as we go along we're we've had more wonderful inventions during my lifetime than any of us could have even dreamed of. And, and all the things that we thought would be so wonderful, it's more, way more wonderful than we ever, ever could have imagined in our own minds. We couldn't have thought all of these things up.
they had to come one at a time because they had to be built on the foundation of what went before and then on the foundation of that next and so on up. That's the way they they go forward. And, and of course, you can see that if you if you just want to think about computers and the Internet and the what, what they do with computers today. Just think a little bit about that and how I guess necessity is the mother of invention. So all these inventions came along and built one on top of the other. And I still think that it's an exciting, wonderful world. There's a lot of turmoil going on in the world right now, but it's never been a better, more exciting, wonderful time to live than it is right now. I'm excited to be here. Just enjoy the journey. What a wonderful place to end. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience, Grandma. I, I love this every single week. I look forward to it and I always come away happier and with more knowledge and pride in my family history. Um, I'm going to finish out today's conversation. Uh, and uh, I, I love you very much, Grandma. This was delightful. Thank you. I love you, Jonathan. You're very good at this, so I'll just say that. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll talk to you next week.